Welcome to the Broadcast Storm, episode number 95, Understanding Multicast Operation. Hey everybody, this is Kevin Wallace, and in this episode of the Broadcast Storm, we want to talk about multicast, both multicasting for IP version 4 and IP version 6. We'll talk about some of the protocols that, that make it work and what distinguishes it from something like unicast or broadcast. To begin with, let's think of a case study. Let's imagine that we have a corporate CEO that's going to be making a big announcement to the company at 2 p.m. today. And that announcement is going to be streamed from one of the uh, company's video servers. And it's going to be streamed out to PCs throughout the company that want to receive the uh, announcement. And let's say that we have 100 PCs that do want to receive the announcement. And we've got another 100, maybe they're on sales calls or for whatever reason they don't want to receive the announcement. So 200 PCs total, 100 want to receive the stream, 100 do not want to receive the stream. Let's think of some different approaches for doing that. One approach is to use unicast. Unicast is one-to-one -one communication. In other words, one source is talking to one destination. If we had 100 PCs that wanted to receive this video stream, then that video server would have to send 100 copies of every video packet. That's one copy to every recipient because it's one-to-one -one communication. And you can see that's not going to scale very well, is it? That's going to put a processor burden on the video server itself. It's going to put a bandwidth burden on the video server's link into the rest of the network because we're having to send a copy of the stream for every participant. And that's with only 100 participants. What if we had more participants? That could be an issue for us. Another option is to do broadcast. Broadcast with IP version 4 is one to all communication. And when I say all, I mean all devices within a subnet. With broadcast, if I had all 200 PCs in the same subnet, we could send one copy of each video packet just one time, and it would go to everybody in that subnet, meaning that everybody that wanted to receive it would receive it. And we only had to send the video stream once. That's going to ease the processor burden on the server. It's going to ease the bandwidth burden on the server's link into the network. The downside is everybody in the subnet got a copy of that broadcast, even the PCs that didn't want to receive it. So their network interface cards have to take time out of their day to look at each of those broadcast packets and say, oh, I don't want that discard. I don't want that discard. That's not efficient either. In a situation like this, it might be best to use multicast. Multicast is not one-to-one -one or one-to-all. It's one-to-many communication. Here's what I mean. What we can do is have a multicast group defined. And with IP version 4, we'll talk about IP version 6 in a few moments, but with IP version 4, as an example, we would have a group with a class D IP address. Let's say we had an address of 239.1.1.1. That's a class D IP address, and the server could send one copy of each video packet to that destination address. Now that address, that class D address, it's not going to be assigned to a PC. That's the address of a group. And PCs that want to receive the stream, they're simply going to join the group. And we'll talk about how that joining happens here in a few moments. So big point to understand, nobody is going to be assigned the IP address of the multicast group. That's an address that our devices can join if they want to be a part of that multicast session. So in a scenario like this, multicast might be the best way to send out that video stream. Now, of course, there are times to use unicast and broadcast. I'm not saying that we should always use multicast, but in certain situations, it might be the best way to go. Now, let's think for a moment about IP version 4 multicast addressing. We already said that it's going to be 
a Kleist D IP address that's going to define one of these multicast groups. And a Kleist D IP address is going to have, in the first octet, a number in the range of 224 through 239. Now, there are some address ranges in that address space that are sort of designated for different purposes. For example, if the Kleist D address begins with 224.0.0.0, that's reserved for a link local address. That's what many of our routing protocols use. For example, RIP version 2, it'll use 224.0.0.9 to multicast out route advertisements. OSPF is going to use 224.0.0.5 to reach all OSPF-speaking routers, or it will use 224.0.0.6 to talk just to designated or backup-designated routers. EIGRP, it'll use 224.0.0.10. So those are reserved link local addresses. Now, anything above that, anything starting at 224.0.1.0 all the way through 238.255.255.255, those are globally scoped addresses. Those can be used between networks if we want. They're sort of like public IP addresses when we think about IP version 4 addresses. And notice that I stopped at 238.255.255.255. What about 239? I used that in my example earlier. Well, anything that begins with a 239, that's a limited scope address. Think of that as a private IP address, like the 10. address space or the 172.16 through 172.31 or the... 192.168, those RFC 1918 addresses that can be used inside of our organization. Well, it's the same with the multicast addresses beginning with 239. They can be used locally. They're called limited scope addresses, but we don't want to use those addresses if we're routing multicast information between organizations or between autonomous systems. Now, also within that globally scoped address area, if the first octet is 232, that's designated for a specific purpose. That's for source-specific multicast addresses. We're going to talk later about a protocol called IGMP, the Internet Group Management Protocol. That's how a PC says, hey, I want to join this group. Well, with IGMP version 3, they're able to say, I want to join this group and I want to receive traffic from a specific server in that group. That's a source-specific multicast. And if the first octet begins with a 233, that's called a GLOP address, G-L-O-P. And no, interestingly, that is not an acronym that stands for something really cool. It's just the name. It's a GLOP address. And what that is, it's an address that can be derived. Now, we're not going to get mathematical here on a podcast episode, but it's an address that can be derived from a BGP autonomous system. So you can route between autonomous systems and be guaranteed to have unique addresses. And when it comes to IP version 6 multicast addressing, it's easy to recognize that an IP version 6 address is a multicast address because we have FF as the first two hexadecimal digits. And after that, there are four bits that indicate whether or not we have a rendezvous point embedded in this address. And we'll talk about a rendezvous point later. And then there are four scope bits. And the scope can say, for example, if this address is valid just on the local link or it's valid globally. There are different values that we can have there. Just as a couple of examples of some well-known IPv6 multicast addresses, FF02 colon colon 1, that addresses all nodes in the link local scope. And FF02 colon colon 2, that references all routers in the link local scope, all routers on this network segment. And now that we're able to recognize a multicast address, it's going to be a Kleist D address for IP version 4. It's going to begin with FF for IP version 6. Now that we understand that, let's think about how a device says, hey, I want to be a part of this multicast group. 
and I want to receive traffic sent to that group. So let's pretend, and we'll use IP version 4 for this example, let's pretend that I've got a device that wants to receive traffic being sent to the group of 239.1.1.1. Well, the way it says I want to join the group is it sends up an IGMP message to its next top gateway, its default router. And IGMP, again, that stands for Internet Group Management Protocol. Not multicast protocol. A lot of people think, hey, it's a multicast protocol. The M must stand for multicast. No, actually, it stands for management. Internet Group Management Protocol. And there are three main versions of IGMP that I want you to know about. The original version would send up a, an IGMP message saying, I want to join this group. And the router seeing this message come in on, let's say, gigabit 1 slash 1 says, oh, there is a client off of this interface that wants to receive traffic for 239.1.1.1. So I need to be part of that multicast distribution tree. And when I receive traffic for that group, I'll forward it out of that interface and it will go down to that PC. One of the big issues with IGMP version 1, though, is there was not a way for that PC to say, I'd like to leave the group. No, the router would just continue sending traffic for 60 seconds, and then it would go query that device and say, hey, do you still want to be a part of this group? And if it responded, then great, we would continue to send traffic to it. If it did not respond, then we would stop sending traffic out of that interface, unless there's another device on that interface that wanted to receive the traffic. With IGMP version 2, uh, the device can be more proactive. It's still going to send up an IGMP message saying, hey, I'd like to join this group, but if it wants to leave the group, it has the ability to send a leave message to tell the router, unless there's somebody else off of my interface that wants to receive traffic for this group, you can stop sending it. Now, IGMP version 3, that's what I hinted at earlier. That allows us to do source-specific multicast. With source-specific multicast, we might have more than one server sending traffic to a multicast group. Maybe we want to get traffic from the server that's closest to us geographically. Maybe the servers are spread around the world. And with IGMP version 3, we can say that not only do I want to join this multicast group, but I want to receive traffic from a specific source sending to that multicast group. Now, at this point, we've talked about how a PC can talk to its default gateway to say, hey, you need to be sending traffic out of this interface. But we probably have a switch in the middle, don't we? We've got a switch, maybe it's a 48 port switch, and maybe on that switch, there are only two interfaces that have members of this multicast group. Well, the router is sending traffic to the switch. What does the switch do? Does it just send out the traffic to all 48 ports to make sure it gets to the intended recipients? No, the switch can run something called IGMP snooping. Literally, it will eavesdrop in on this IGMP conversation we were talking about, and it sees that a device on this port joined this group. And when it sees traffic coming down from the router, it knows which port or ports to send that multicast traffic. And that's the way the multicast flow works from the PC to the switch to the router, but we might have multiple routers in our network. How do the routers know how to forward traffic between themselves, and how do they prevent getting unwanted multicast traffic if they don't have any downstream clients that want to receive that traffic. Well, that's going to use a protocol called PIM, P-I-M, which stands for Protocol Independent Multicast, meaning that we are independent of the underlying unicast routing protocol. We could be running OSPF, EIGRP, RIP, it doesn't matter. We're independent of that. But PIM, P-I-M, that's our multicast routing protocol. 
And sort of like a spanning tree where we build this loop-free topology with switches, we also build a multicast distribution tree using PIM. And this is where we're going from the source through its router out to all the other routers in the network that have clients that want to receive the traffic. If there's a router that doesn't have any downstream clients that want to receive the traffic, there's no need to send the traffic to that router. We need to prune it off of the distribution tree. And there's a couple of approaches for this. One is called a source distribution tree. And the type of PIM that's running the source distribution tree is called PIM dense mode. Dense mode makes the assumption that everybody in the network would surely want to receive my traffic. So initially, when a source begins, that traffic is flooded throughout the network. It goes to all of the routers. And if a router sees this multicast traffic and it doesn't have any downstream clients that have sent it an IGMP message saying, I want to receive traffic for that group, that router says, I really don't have any need to get this traffic. So it will send to its upstream router, the router that sent it the traffic to begin with, it will send it a prune message. Just like we're cutting a branch off of a tree, we send a prune message to cut this connection off of the multicast distribution tree. And this is called a flood and prune behavior. The traffic floods throughout the network, and then routers that don't want to receive the traffic, they will send prune messages to say, I want to be cut off of that tree. But what happens if in a couple of minutes, a PC comes up and says, actually, I do want to receive traffic for that group. Well, now that router wants to join the tree. And just like in nature, when you try to add a living branch to an existing branch, you graft it on, there is a graft message sent from that router that has the client that now wants to join the group. There's a graft message sent from that router to its upstream router saying, hey, put me back in this tree. I'd like to receive traffic for this multicast group. Now, there's a downside to this flood and prune behavior. And that is, in some cases, this flooding and pruning behavior can happen every three minutes. After three minutes, we flood all the routers again. And the routers that don't need the traffic, they prune themselves off. And in really large networks, this can cause issues. I know of one financial institution that implemented PIM dense mode. And this flooding and pruning behavior sort of blocked up their network every three minutes. They got rid of multicast altogether. They thought, this isn't working. They just got rid of it. We'll see that. That was a bit drastic. They could have done something else. But the flooding and pruning behavior is not awesome. That's the reason that PIM dense mode is not highly favored. Now, some vendors, to be fair, have implemented a refresh mechanism where the flooding and pruning is not going to happen every three minutes. But that's the way that this source distribution tree used by PIM dense mode works by default. And before we talk about the other option, let's think about a router that has multicast traffic coming in on a couple of interfaces. After all, we're flooding this traffic throughout the network. How do we build this loop-free topology? Again, similar to spanning tree, we want to prevent any loops. Well, when a router receives traffic coming in on an interface from a multicast source, it's going to use something called RPF, or reverse path forwarding. It's going to look at the source IP address. Let's say that the server sending this traffic is 172.16.1.100. Well, the router is going to look at its IP routing table. And it's going to say, if I were going to send traffic back to that server, which interface would I use? Would I use gigabit 1 slash 1? Would I use gigabit 1 slash 2? I receive traffic from that server coming in on both interfaces. Well, maybe the routing table says, well, if I were going to go back to that network, I would go out of gigabit 1 slash 1. And the router is then going to prune off that traffic coming in on gigabit 1 slash 2. That way it doesn't get duplicate copies. But PIM dense mode, flood, and prune behavior by default 
It happens every three minutes. A better option, many would argue, is to use a shared distribution tree. And the version of PIM that uses a shared distribution tree is PIM sparse mode. With PIM sparse mode, instead of just flooding the traffic throughout the network, there is a router that's designated as a rendezvous point. And routers that want to receive traffic for a multicast group, they know that they can go to the rendezvous point and join the tree and get that multicast stream coming from the rendezvous point. So initially, the multicast sender is just sending to the rendezvous point, and then any other routers that want to join, they'll go ask the rendezvous point to send them the traffic. But that path via the rendezvous point back to the multicast source, it might not be the optimal path. So here's what can happen. When the router gets that first packet from the rendezvous point, it sees who's sending the traffic. It looks at the source IP address and it looks at its IP routing table and that router might realize that going via the rendezvous point is not the most efficient path. There's a better path if we go directly back to that source based on our IP routing table. So what the router can do is send a join message towards the next top gateway going back towards the multicast sender, and it can say, I'd like to join a multicast tree and receive traffic from you. So now that router is sending the multicast traffic, but we're still getting traffic from the rendezvous point as well. So the router is going to send a prune message up to the rendezvous point saying, hey, thanks for getting me started, but I no longer need to receive traffic from you, and we can prune ourselves off of the rendezvous point. This is called shortest path tree switchover, or SPT switchover for short. We're now getting traffic via an optimal path, and we did not have to do flooding and pruning to make that happen. We very, very briefly got traffic from the rendezvous point, just long enough to see who's the source IP address. Then we set up an optimal connection to that source IP address, and we pruned off the connection to the rendezvous point. That's the way that PIM sparse mode works. And one way that you can educate the routers in your network about who the rendezvous point is, is to go in and manually configure each router to say, here's the IP address of the rendezvous point. That might not scale terribly well though. So what we can do instead is use something called auto RP. With auto RP, the router that's going to be the rendezvous point, we can give a command that will cause it to announce itself and it's going to be announcing itself to the multicast group of 224.0.1.39. And we're going to have another router, or it could be the same router, it could be the rendezvous point, but we're going to have a router acting as a mapping agent. And it's going to listen to all the routers that are announcing themselves as rendezvous points to the group of 224.0.1.39, and it's going to pick one. Or maybe there's only one. And then it, the mapping agent, is going to advertise the chosen rendezvous point out to another multicast address of 224.0.1.40. And by default, on your Cisco routers, as soon as you enable multicast routing for IP version 4, you are automatically listening to the group of 224.0.1.40. You're automatically listening for that rendezvous point announcement. So that's one way that we could automatically learn the identity of a rendezvous point. But that's a Cisco proprietary way of doing this. There is an industry standard way of doing this with PIM version 2, and it's called BSR, or Bootstrap Router. It works very similar. You configure BSR candidates and BSRs, and much like AutoRP, routers that want to be the Bootstrap Router, they can announce themselves to everyone else. But there's a bit of a paradox here. We need to be running uh, multicast in order to hear the announcement of the rendezvous point, 
But if we're using PIM sparse mode, how can we listen to the announcement if we don't yet know the rendezvous point? Well, in a case like this, we can run yet a different mode of PIM. It's called PIM sparse dense mode, which means we will run sparse mode if we know a rendezvous point, but if we do not, we'll run dense mode, but only until we learn a rendezvous point. So in a case like this, we'll be running dense mode and hear that announcement of the rendezvous point, and then we'll switch over to the preferred PIM sparse mode. But that's an overview of the theory of how multicasting works with both IP version 4 and IP version 6. Again, to summarize, Multicast is one to many, and many means the members of a multicast group. Devices that want to receive the multicast information, they join a group. And they do that by sending an IGMP message up to their router saying, hey, I'd like to join this group. And the router starts forwarding traffic out of that interface. If the router was not already receiving that traffic, then it's going to join the multicast tree. The switch is sitting in the middle, and it's running IGMP snooping, so it knows what ports need to get that traffic and the router can join the tree uh, via a couple of different mechanisms. It could be running PIM dense mode, which used the flooding and pruning behavior, or it could be using PIM sparse mode, where we temporarily get traffic from a rendezvous point, which we can manually configure or automatically learn. And then once we learn the source IP address, we can do shortest path tree switchover to get traffic optimally from our source. And if we receive multicast traffic coming in on a couple of interfaces, we'll do an RPF check, a reverse path forwarding check to say, well, if I considered my IP routing table, how would I best get back to the source? And we're going to be able to select which interface on which we're going to receive that multicast traffic and we'll prune off the other interface. Now, of course, in a podcast episode, it's challenging to get into the actual configuration. So we just focused on theory here in this audio podcast. If you'd like to see this configured, though, how do we enable multicast routing on our router? What's the difference between a star comma G and an S comma G entry in our IP multicast routing table? If you want to get into all that configuration and review the theory again, I've got a video that you might want to check out. To get to it, just go to kwtrain.com slash MCAST, short for multicast. Again, that's kwtrain.com slash MCAST. You'll be asked to enter your name and email, and you'll get immediate access to that video. And there's some other videos. I'll spread them out a little bit, but I'll send those to your email as well over the following days. And I hope that will deepen your understanding in multicasting even more. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this look at multicasting theory. I hope you'll join me in the video where you can see exactly how to set it up. And I look forward to spending time with you again on the next episode of The Broadcast Storm. Broadcast Storm.